Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are rethinking church and reworking life around the person and presence of King Jesus. Good morning. I love when we get to be together. I love when we get to worship King Jesus. I love when we get to open the Bible together. Um, if you're new here, I want to welcome you online. If you're new either online or in our in-person gathering um, and you don't know much about Jesus or church, welcome. Buckle your seatbelt. We jump right into the Word. We say the name of Jesus a lot. I'm all in on what I believe, as are most people here. So um, just kind of be a part of the process. And at the end of this, we'll give you an opportunity um, to give your life to Jesus if you've never really surrendered control of your life to him. Uh, I am in um, John 20. We've gone through the whole book of John. I was recently thinking back because before John, uh, we did um, Exodus, and before Exodus, we did Ruth. Um, so we're kind of just moving through the book of John. Um, I only have one more chapter, so I'm at the end of chapter 20, and then we'll do John 21 in one or two weeks. I don't know. Depends. And uh, I'll tell you next week. And then I think we're headed towards Acts. Um, I love the book of Acts, powerful, powerful history of the expansion and the scattering of the New Testament church. And I think there's a lot that we can learn as a church kind of right here, right now, where we are. So I'm in John 20. Uh, we're going to read verse 24 um, all the way to verse 31. So it's a shorter passage than what I would usually do. Um, and there's a, a central figure in this. In fact, if you open your Bible or you're scrolling on your phone and you look at uh, chapter 20, verse 24 in John, it says, now Thomas. And any of you who spend any time in your Bible or around Christian churches, you know that we're about to read a passage about this guy named Thomas. And what's he get dubbed? Anybody know? I mean, did you hear that? I mean, y'all didn't even break your stride. Everybody just, I mean, how, I mean, there was probably like 85% of y'all in this auditorium that said, Doubting Thomas. And I, I got to say, I am heartbroken that Thomas has earned the name Doubting Thomas. Um, so we are going to attempt to understand what happened here, why it happened, why Jesus showed up, because it appears to me that Jesus actually showed up um, again to the disciples. And it's not that he ignores um, the other guys, but he focuses all his attention on this guy named Thomas. Oh, y'all changed it. Well done. Okay. So here's what I'm going to pitch and we're going to talk about is I think we're, we're, we're going to attempt to upgrade Thomas to truthful Thomas. Okay? Truthful Thomas. And in doing so, what we're going to do is we're going to invite each of us who struggle with doubts. Who struggles with doubts? Yeah. Yeah, truthful Thomas. And what's fascinating to me is you get King Jesus, resurrected King Jesus, walking through potentially the walls again, greeting these disciples, and the ones who are so-called not doubting, or not at least not being like, um, I don't know, uh, like, like um, uh, visibly obtuse or like resisting, um, he sort of walks by all of them and he addresses Thomas because I think Thomas was so courageous to be so honest. Okay, so I want to take you through that. And then the other thing, we're going to look at um, Thomas the pessimist. We'll look at Thomas the doubter, Thomas the loner, Thomas who wasn't with the disciples. I want to look at a few of Thomas's virtues. Um, but then I want to look at the end of this passage where you get Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. And I'm actually going to propose to you that Thomas um, was the first, everybody say number one, the first New Testament believer. I'm going to show you why. 
okay? Because we have Mary of Magdala. If you were here a couple weeks ago, she was at the tomb. This is where I stood, Mary of Magdala being at the tomb. Um, but Mary of Magdala was the first one to see the risen King Jesus. Uh, possibly John, it, it, John the Beloved, was the first one to actually believe. But I think in terms of New Testament believers, and we'll open this up in just a minute, um, I believe that Thomas was actually the first one. And how did he get dubbed? Doubting Thomas. So that's the question we're going to wrestle with. Okay, here we go. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, I'm reading out of the NIV, one of the twelve. Twelve who? Disciples of Jesus, that's right, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. Now, if you're reading in a paper Bible, you need to circle that. And you need to begin to ask, why wasn't Thomas there? And what was going on in Thomas's heart that he had forsaken gathering with his brothers? Okay, so big question we're going to come back to. <clears throat> he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But truthful Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nail marks were, and put my hand into his side, that would have been the spear uh, mark or the scar that was left from the spear, into his side, I will not believe. I mean, how about that? I will not believe. I wonder, I wonder in that moment when truthful Thomas uh, said what he was really thinking, um, I wonder what was going through all the other guys' minds. You think they judged him? You rascal. I wonder, though, I wonder if any of them were doubting also. Because it's interesting, if you look at the end of Matthew, um, I'm actually going to go here. I think it's worth it. Uh, the end of Matthew, chapter 28. I wasn't doing this, but you know I'm going to. The end of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he says um, in verse 18, all authority... Oh, excuse me, verse 17. Matthew 28, verse 17. When they saw him, so this is not only the, the um, disciples, but a big other crowd that was also with him. It says, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Interesting, interesting. So what I want to like um, sort of leverage back for us today is um, it is okay to find yourself in a place of doubt. It's okay. And I don't think it's possible actually to arrive at a position of true faith in Christ Jesus without sort of crossing the bridge of doubt. Okay? I think you actually have to sort of meander across that um, at some point. So let me go back to my reading. Okay, I, verse, the end of verse uh, 25, I'm back in John 20. Unless I put my um, hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, verse 26. A week later, so how many days is that? Seven. So Jesus appeared to the disciples the evening of Easter. He appeared to Mary of Magdala. Then he appeared to all the disciples except Thomas. And then a week later goes by, and his disciples were in the house again, in that upper room, and this time Thomas was with them. Now, what is happening in this week? I imagine the guys that have seen Jesus are kind of scratching their heads going, what in the world do we do now? What are we waiting for? Like, what is happening? We've given our lives for three years to this guy. We've now seen him. He's resurrected, but now he's gone. It's like radio silence. And we're all just waiting, right? 
Isn't it interesting, though, that you have Thomas, who's with them this time. He wasn't previously. Um, and what must have been going on inside of Thomas for that week? Like, go there a second. Doubting Thomas, that's what we all call him. What's, what's brewing inside of Thomas's heart and mind? What might be? Frustration. Disappointment, maybe. Hurt. Like, I think he probably could even be truly suffering under the weight of his own doubt. He might be experiencing some agony, and he's continued to isolate himself. Um, so, so I want you to begin to see, we're going to come back to this, but by Thomas choosing to isolate himself, um, he extends his suffering. Okay, we'll come back. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. This is the upper room, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked. Why are the doors locked? They're still afraid. They're still afraid. Last time didn't fully like get through to them. I mean, King Jesus walked through the walls, greeted them, talked to them, taught them, walked back out, but they're still back in the upper room and the doors are still. Okay, very important. Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. He's saying shalom. I went into that last week. You can listen to it if you'd like. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, I love this. Can I just say that he ignores, ignores is the wrong word. He bypasses the other disciples. You get this idea. He just, you know, rolls through the walls. He bypasses the other disciples. He goes right up and he engages with Thomas. So how is it if Thomas is this cataclysmic doubter and we're all judging him if we were the disciples, that slacker, he wasn't here and he's off by himself and then we're grumbling about him and we're murmuring a little bit and we're gossiping a little bit. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks in and Jesus goes right up to Thomas and begins to engage him. Okay, so let's keep going. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. I mean, he must have even spread his robe, pulled up his robe, and, and, and shown his side. Stop doubting. Apistos is that word. And believe. Pistos. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. We're going to come back to what that means and why that is so significant and why I think that means he is the first New Testament Christian. Verse 29, then Jesus, let me, let me go back and say one thing. Some of you feel like, some of us feel like if we doubt, if we have fear, if we have anxiety, if we struggle with things, that, that we are somehow um, less than, we're inferior, we feel bad about ourselves, we talk badly about ourselves, and we assume God's probably angry with us and doesn't like us, right? Is that about, about fair, give or take? What's fascinating here, though, is Jesus is actually acknowledging Thomas's pain. Now, I do think he didn't intend for Thomas to suffer for a week, but he's acknowledging Thomas's pain. He's acknowledging Thomas's grief. He's acknowledging that Thomas, I actually think, wants to believe and is trying to believe, but doesn't know how to believe. And he goes right up to him and says, here, touch, see. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, I love this verse too, because this pertains more to us. Because you have seen me, who got to see him? Thomas got to see Jesus. You have believed. Because you, Thomas, have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, now this is seen with your literal eyes, and yet have believed. Who's that? 
Ah, yes, that's exactly right. And then verse 30, uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe, pistos, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to say quickly on these last two verses, because I'm not going to fully... Um, Actually, I am going to come back to them. I'm going to, I'm going to retract my comments. We're going to go back to the beginning. Okay, so Thomas, um, we've just read it. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to interpret his word for us. Holy Spirit, as we read your word, as we um, share with it, as we sort of metaphorically break the bread of your word together, I pray that you would enliven our hearts. Father, would you not only convict us, but would you lift us? Father, where we have judged perhaps Thomas as a doubter, and maybe we've even judged our own selves as a doubter. I pray that you would lift us and allow us to see ourselves and to see Thomas by the eyes of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to call what Thomas just experienced a doubt storm. Okay? We'll just be just slang, doubt storm. Okay. Um, I, I was trying to think in, in my life, and I, I've had two... Um, substantial doubt storms. Um, I'm not going to go into the background about why it happened, um, but doubt storm number one, I came out of a very, very dark seven-year period of my life. God supernaturally reached in and rescued me from a very dark place. And as I began to get out of it and I began to see light and truth and people and circumstances for what they were, what began to happen inside of me as I began to go, God, are you real? God, could, how did this happen? Lord, how did I stoop to this level to participate in things that I'm embarrassed of or ashamed of? Um, how, how did you let me go and wander so far? And I began to actually question uh, the goodness of God, the character of God, um, the existence of God. And in the meantime, I'm like judging myself, and I, and I was in a legitimate doubt storm. And it was a um, process of some weeks and some months and even some years um, that it took me to walk through that, um, but it required that I would courageously acknowledge the doubt that was inside of me. You hear me? So in other words, you can't just, like, there's this carpet under right here behind me, but a lot of us just want to, like, take it and, you know, here's a little bit of doubt, and we're just going to sweep that under the carpet like this, and, you know, I'm just going to ignore it. And the next time we get a little doubt, what are we going to do? Just kick it under there, and the next time, well, before long, you're rolling along in your daily life, and you got like a mountain that's happened here, and you go kaboom. Most of us, let me not say many of us, let me say um, just soften it. Many of us think that the way we get free of our sin is to deny it's there. Many of us begin to think that it's our responsibility to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves better, to improve our state. I actually think that Thomas is probably out sitting on a mountain by himself instead of sitting with the, the other disciples, and he's probably beating himself up because he's lost faith. He doesn't believe. He doesn't think Jesus is God. He doesn't think Jesus is the Son of God. And he's probably sitting out going, I'm, I'm a worthless, you know, whatever. I've given up, and I don't believe in Jesus, and, uh, and oh, you know, help me. So we, you, you get this idea in Christianity that it's our job to clean ourselves up, make ourselves better, um, instead of what Jesus is always proposing all through from Genesis to Revelation, is you begin to acknowledge the reality that the doubt's there, that the fear's there, that the unbelief is there, that it's okay even to go to a brother or sister and go, hey, I'm struggling, I'm doubting, I'm discouraged, I am downcast. Would you help me? Would you pray with me? I don't want to stay here forever. 
So, so is it okay, hypothetically, to live in doubt the rest of your life? No. But do we as believers have to acknowledge when we're in something like doubt or anxiety or depression or fear, do we have to acknowledge it? Yes. And the way that you access the kingdom of God, the forgiveness of Jesus, the life of Christ in and through your life is when you begin to acknowledge it. Because when you call out what is already there, it takes away the power of the enemy to manipulate you, to deceive you, to hold you captive any longer. And you get with somebody that you trust and you go, hey, Wayne, I am struggling with doubt. I needed you to know, would you pray with me? I'm going to repent together. And you talk about it and you pray together. Why do we do small groups? to do life together, to walk through it together, to walk with Jesus alongside one another so that we can actually confess those things, calling those things that are what they are, and then appropriating the resurrection life of Christ Jesus into our heart. Okay, so I'm going to propose to you that what Thomas, um, his, his sort of doubt storm, um, the problem was not his uh, doubts in so much. I think his problem or Thomas's sin, if, if you want to look at that, what is Thomas's sin is not his doubt. I think his sin is that he chose to isolate. Somebody got that. When we as Christians try to hide and stuff what's going on inside of us or what we've done or what's happened, and we try to deny that it's there, and we end up isolating, and then we become better at like performing and covering up what's going on inside of us, and suddenly we're becoming religious, and if you persist in that, you become like Pharisaic. I mean, it like goes and goes. You hear me? And then all of a sudden, you're disingenuous because you're not coming together saying, hey, this is my failure. Okay, go back to me. Um, Doubt storm number one, I'm coming out of this dark place in my life. Um, Doubt storm number two, this is uh, a little closer to home. This was like 2017, I think, um, beginning of 2017. Um, But Abby and I uh, had been at a a church for about eight or nine years. We were up for a senior pastor position. They had 30 candidates that went down to like four. And those guys even bailed out and said, Michael's your guy. So guess what I assumed? I was the guy. Abby and I, in all seriousness, though, I'm being silly right there, but Abby and I, in all seriousness, had both felt like we heard independently that we were called to be senior pastors. We made the assumption, guess what? Come on, what do we assume? That it was there, right? And Abby and I had, you know, the way I, this is a short lesson on hearing from God, but I would treat hearing from God um, sort of like a riverbed and then a river flowing through it. Here's what I mean. The riverbed um, that holds the river or contains the river is the word. You see it? And then the river is the power of the Holy Spirit that is flowing through the riverbed. But guess where? The river doesn't flow outside of the Riverbed. So when you feel like you've heard something from the Lord, and I do believe God speaks, I believe he whispers into our lives, and we, the word actually says in John 10 that we're like sheep and we're to know his voice and to respond to his voice. But when he speaks, uh, you have to then take it and go, Lord, I think this could be you. I hope this is you. Paul says we see through dimly. Um, So I think it's you, and I believe this is what you're saying. But a lot of times what Christians, immature Christians, and all of us are and have and will be, but we get a little something from God. We have a little nudge from God or a whisper from God, and then all of a sudden we want to attach our timetable to it, or our thought to it, or maybe we get something for our spouse, and we're like, yeah, but you should do it this way, God. 
You hear me? Or your roommate or your kids or whatever. And so I think as Christians, we must be very, very, very careful that if the great apostle Paul said, I see through the veil dimly, I hear dimly, I understand dimly, if the, the, probably the greatest theologian ever to walk on planet earth only saw through dimly, then we as Christians must be very careful that we don't go slinging around God said and act confident like we speak on behalf of the almighty and we understand what he's doing. Okay. Now, the other tension, and this isn't a problem to be solved, it's a tension to be managed. The other tension is we cannot become believers who stop believing that God is speaking. We cannot become believers that neglect to listen and to stop and to wait for the direction of God because he is. He speaks through his word, but he speaks in direct and immediate revelation today. So back to my story. Abby and I were convinced that we had heard that we were gonna be senior pastors and we made the assumption it was there. And they called us into a meeting and I went walking in like, I got this. And they said, you don't got this. And I went into a doubt storm. And what's interesting is the doubt storm wasn't that I, I actually had reached a point and I, I just re-looked through my five-year journal, um, but I'd reached a point where I was going, Lord, if, if this congregation isn't willing to grow and change in the way that you've called us to go, would you please let them say no? I wrote it again and again and again. And, uh, but my doubt storm was not that they said no. I, I, uh, for me, um, to the best of my ability to live as Christ and to die as gain. That means if he's called me to preach on the street corner or to a big church or to a small church or go to Australia or Africa or somewhere in between, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm in the dead center of his will and way. You hear me? That's, that's the generally way I try, Abby and I try to navigate. But the doubt storm happened because I started going, did I not hear God? I thought I was obeying you. Like I did everything you wanted me to do. I, I walked with you for three years and then all of a sudden you went to a cross and died. And I'm here by myself like Thomas for this week, looking around, groping in the darkness. What has happened? I thought I understood all of life and death. I thought I understood everything. And now everything that I thought I understood, the carpet's been pulled out from under me and I find myself sailing through the air and this doubt storm is like wrecking my own heart and life. You hear me? And it took Abby and I about a year. We actually took time off. We took about 14 months off of church ministry. We have a landscaping business. And so I was able just to go right to work landscaping. And in that 14 months, we began to process what happened, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And we began to, instead of judging God for what he didn't do, we began to look at and get on the same page of what he was doing. You follow me? So we came through, I think Abby and I both together, came through kind of this doubt storm. So here then becomes the question, if Thomas is in a doubt storm, if some of us are experiencing a doubt storm, and I would even call this sermon from doubt to faith, truthful Thomas. So uh, the question though, is if you find yourself in one of these doubt storms, how do we move from doubt to faith? And I wanna read two verses and then we're gonna keep going on the life of Thomas. Hebrews 11.6, if you want to make a note, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're doubting, do you have faith? Your faith isn't very strong, at least. Yeah? Okay. Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8, if you want to make a note. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of of God. So if you can't, uh, if you're living in doubt, you don't have 
faith. If you don't have faith, you can't please who? God. Now, how do you get faith? How do you get out of doubt? How do you turn a doubt storm into faith? Because it says in Ephesians that faith is not of yourselves. It actually goes on to say so that none of you will boast. So how do you um, transition doubt um, into faith? How do you receive this gift of God in faith and let him lead you through sort of a doubt storm? So that's what we're going to wrestle with. Um, so let's go back and talk about Thomas and sort of meander through this text. Okay, um, I think that Thomas uh, was like a belligerent pessimist. It's my opinion, okay? Here's why. Um, John eleven sixteen says, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, he's talking about Jerusalem, uh, that we may die with him. So what's amazing is I think Thomas is a huge pessimist, but I also think Thomas is enormously courageous. It's possible that Thomas's courage is unmatched by any of the other disciples. And what's also interesting about Thomas is none of the other disciples are getting that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. So Thomas is like way ahead. Like he's understanding something that they're not understanding. He's super courageous because he's going, well, let's all go with him to Jerusalem then and die. But he's a little bit of a pessimist not grasping the goodness of God, the goodness of the kingdom of God. So he's, uh, he, he's, he's marching onward towards his death. Um, certainly Thomas is, is struggling with doubt. I said it before, but I want to say it again. You cannot arrive at faith without crossing the bridge of doubt. You cannot live in faith. You cannot live receiving the gift of faith from God without looking your doubts and fears in the eyes, acknowledging them, dealing with them, repenting for them, and then asking or appropriating faith as a gift from God into your heart. Mark 9, 24 says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I love that passage because it's something that I have found myself praying again and again. Lord, I'm trying to believe. I want to believe, but help my unbelief. Again, truthful Thomas, honest with where we really are. And I would even say to you this morning that faith is a battle with unbelief at times that can be agonizing. Like, acknowledge that for a second. If you've got an illness in your family, um, if you've got a death in your family, if you've got a chronic illness that's happening with one of your kids, if you've got financial pressures at home, the, the, the journey to walking in faith and belief and hope and life can at times be agonizing as you cross the bridges of doubt. And I think we need to give ourselves even permission as believers to acknowledge that and to say it's okay to um, sort of walk through and, and deal with that agony. Okay, let's, let's talk a second about Thomas um, the loner. I've already pointed this out loosely, but I want to say or point it out again. Um, Thomas appears to struggle with isolation. There's two ways I can work this, and I, I don't know that I can fully sort it, but um, I, I can either uh, say that he has, um, it's like he's looked at Jesus who's now died, and he's gone, y'all are crazy. Like, we gave three years to this guy, and now he's dead. Like, I, I no longer want to be associated with you. I'm not hanging out with you. I don't like you. I don't trust you, and I'm going to go over here and do it on my own. Okay? That's an option. The other option is what I pitched earlier, is that Thomas is actually down on himself. He's insecure. Um, he's angry at himself because of this huge doubt that he's feeling. And so he's going to go off by himself and punish himself. 
Now, listen to me a second. If the enemy can get you, um, if the enemy can get you into isolation, forsaking community, um, you, you will end up suffering indefinitely longer than the Lord intends you to. Okay? Like, I'm looking at actually the church um, post-COVID. I'm not making any political statements. I'm not saying anything about our need to um, separate and wear masks. I'm not not dealing with that. Don't even go there. But I see a church where people have gotten separated in many cases uh, for right reasons, but they have, in that separation, become isolated, and all of a sudden their faith has left or is leaving, and doubt is growing. You you hear me? What's fascinating is for most Christians— if you sit and talk to them or if you counsel with them, when something goes bad, what do people do? We're going to isolate. Let me open up a just personal moment here that happened this very week because it's something I've recognized in my life. Um, I am really good about being open and authentic about stuff once I've walked through it. You hear me up? You hear me do it up here all the time. Like, I'm, I'm good at it. I have gotten to the point where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a lot of pride or flex muscle. I'm just going to tell you my shortcomings, right? What I'm not good at is reaching out and sharing when I'm struggling in the moment. So I, t- I tend to go into this, like, like this boxer mode, and I just kind of work through it myself and kind of, like, get through it. I just push through it. Like, no matter what, I'm, a, I'm like a bulldozer. I'm going to get through it. And uh, this week, the last two weeks, and, and let me say this before I say what I'm going to say. I'm not sharing the stories that are happening in our lives so that you, to garner your affection or your understanding or even your sorrow. I'm actually sharing them to invite you into analyzing your own heart, that you would find your own seeds of doubt and unbelief or where you're isolating and running away, and you would begin to repent of those things, bringing them to the Lord Jesus and choose to risk community, choose to risk relationship, choose to, instead of isolating and running away, that you would come towards this loving God and come towards the people that he's called you to, okay? All right. So uh, Ezra, our youngest, um, this last two weeks has had these breathing things that have been horrible, like horrible. And Abby has a history of asthma, and he's had this asthma, and he's not been breathing at night. And we got him on this, like, nebulizer thing that this is this big mask. He's two, right? And he doesn't sit still. And we put him on this thing, and the nebulizer, like, works. The albuterol works. It opens his lungs, but it wasn't keeping them open. Like, as soon as we'd stop, it would stop. And we're doing this, like, multiple times a day. We're waking up at night. We're looking at this monitor. Abby and I are not sleeping, which means how are we relating one to another? A little what? A little grumpy, a little short, a little tense, a little of any of those things. Yeah, I've had to look at her a couple times at this point and go, hey, babe, will you forgive me? Um, Yeah, really, true. And if you're not doing that in your marriage or with your roommates or with your jobs, you may want to upgrade to the point where you begin to. Serious, because you'll begin to access the kingdom presence and resurrection power of Jesus in your life. So um, I, I, we're in this, this moment. Um, Abby had an opportunity to go to a conference. So, so we got, we, we, before she left, in fact, she wasn't even going to go. We were going to cancel it. But they got Ezra this little um, breathable steroid that goes in his little nebulizer thing, and it worked. Like he started improving. And so we were like, yeah, it's good for Abby to go. She needs, you know, a day or two. I'm always leaving. She never gets to leave. So it was just really, really good for her to go for a couple nights to a conference. And um, but as she left, and then I'm there with the kids, I had this moment, because our older two kids are in a bit of a crisis. Uh, that's an understatement. Um, and then Amelia has type 1 diabetes, and then Ezra is having this breathing thing. And I had this moment where I 
had a little, I don't know if doubt's the right word, certainly pain. Lord Jesus, I am in pain. And typically what I would do in pain is I would isolate, go into Michael's bulldozer mode, go into fight mode, you know, and I just kind of hunker down and, and I'm, I'm a sailor. Um, so when you're in a storm on a sailboat, you reef the main, then you double reef the main, then you triple reef the main, you head into the, you know, into, into the storm and you just go. And that's kind of the, the, uh, what I would go into. And in this place, I felt the Holy Spirit convict me in my heart and go, Michael, reach out. So I actually reached out to our lead team. I reached out to um, just a, a couple of people and said, I am in um, some pain and duress, and I need you to know it. I'm choosing not to. I'm actually coming out of some isolation, and I'm beginning to engage with some people and go, hey, I am struggling. So if, if I could say to us anything that I see the enemy do in life after life after life, is this, if he can get you isolated and separated, he can get you to believe almost anything. You hear me? If he can get you isolated off by yourself and you cut off the people that you trust and that love you and believe the best in you and would give you even good counsel on decisions you're making or where you're going or what you're doing, you, you cut those people off. You cut off maybe healthy biblical authority from over you so there's nobody you know, speaking or, or, or giving a good direction into your life. All of a sudden, the enemy's got you and you can go any which way and convince yourself that I'm doing just fine. And the enemy's got you picked off and stuck in your own doubt, your own isolation, your own despair. So I would actually propose to you that what Jesus comes in here with Thomas to correct is not his doubt. Every one of them is doubting. They're all doubting. I mean, at the very end, after Jesus has, I just read it to you in Matthew, after he has appeared to them again and again and again, he's shown himself to over 500 people. Still, some are standing there looking at Jesus, rising up on the clouds into heaven, and some doubt. The question is not whether they all doubted. The question is they chose to band together in their pain and in their doubt, and Thomas, isolated. Let it be a warning. If you're an isolator, if you get alone, if you separate yourself, there's an appropriate time, I think, when we're in grief or we're in pain or we're in difficulty that we have to get at it alone for a minute. I like to go out in the ocean or go out in the woods. Um, <clears throat> there's an appropriate uh, amount of time where that's okay. But quickly then, you must go back in and reconnect. You follow me? Okay. <clears throat> Matthew 18, 20 actually says we're more likely to encounter Jesus when two or three gather together than when we're alone in isolation. Where two or three gather, he is there also. I think I already said this, but I am convinced that Jesus showed up because Thomas was so truthful. I think Jesus responded to Thomas's willingness to be authentic, to say where he really was. I think some of the other disciples were probably holding their cards. Thomas plays all of his, and I think he desires to believe, but he's caught in his own storm of doubt and despair. <clears throat> I love that Jesus doesn't dismiss Thomas. I love that Jesus doesn't let him go. I love that Jesus appears and pursues him. And it appears to me that this entire appearance of Jesus is for the benefit of one person. Who? Thomas. And I think if Jesus is actually saying anything in this to the disciples and to the church, the body of Christ at large right now in this, it is when you are willing to be honest with where you really are, Jesus will come and meet you most powerfully. 
to the disciples that were not willing to be fully open and transparent about what they were struggling with and where they were. It's not that Jesus didn't meet them. He was still meeting them in his own way. But I think there is something unique in the kingdom of God that when we are willing to be honest and open and share truthfully about where we are and where we're not, and we're willing to stop hiding and stop being religious and stop acting like we've got all our mess together and begin to open ourselves, I think what happens is the very person and presence of Jesus can now come and minister to you. And it's so powerful. And I think it's actually, it's, it's so like anti what the paradigm that we're all taught in church. It's like, come together and let's actually share with one another and break bread and be honest and practice church and be more open and share more honestly about our shortcomings and then invite Jesus to come and meet us in that brokenness. That's church. That's like the reality of the body of Christ, life together, life on life discipleship, rolling one with another. I would actually say here that we as believers ought to take massive encouragement because Jesus is actually affirming Thomas in his agony of faith. He didn't dismiss him. Now, do I think for a minute that Jesus intended Thomas to suffer for that extra week? I don't. Notice that. Do I think that the kind, good, and gentle God that Jesus knows and serves and is intended Thomas to suffer for that extra seven days? No. Did he allow it? Yes. Make a note. Make a note. Let's talk a second about Thomas's virtues, and then I want to hit the end of a couple of these verses. Um, when I look at Thomas, I think I love—three things about Thomas that I love. Number one, I love that he refuses to say he understands what he doesn't understand. You hear me? He's not putting on any pretense. Number two, he refuses to say he believes what he doesn't believe. Like, is that powerful? He's just being real. And, and then number uh, three, he has this uncompromising honesty and integrity, and he's kind of going, I don't believe, and I don't know what to do about it, and I'm angry, and I'm going to run off by myself. But he has this uncompromising honesty and integrity that I think Jesus not only honors, but he walks into the walls again and ministers specifically to Thomas because of the posture of his heart. Okay, so let's get into verse uh, 27. So uh, verse 27, where am I? Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. <clears throat> Let me see if I can tie this um, together for us because I think what Jesus is actually saying here um, in this moment, that, that unbelief is a pistos, a pistos, and then belief is pistos. So Jesus is saying, stop being an unbeliever. Um, stop uh, doubting. He's saying, uh, stop being unfaithful. Stop living in disbelief and cross over into belief, cross over into faith, cross over into this supernatural hope. And I think what Jesus is actually inviting Thomas into at this point is stop being an unbeliever and start being a Believer. So when we go around as Christians, um, and some of you may be like me, you don't like to tell other people you're Christians. I go, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Jesus person, or, you know, whatever. Christian has, I don't know what connotations right now. But um, when he says, he's, in, he's inviting Thomas from being an unbeliever to being a believer. So when we walk around and introduce ourselves, if you're in Christ, we actually call ourselves believers. 
believers. So what, what Jesus is extending to Thomas is stop being an unbeliever and start being a New Testament believer. Okay, um, <clears throat> so remember, go back to Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God without faith. Does Thomas currently have faith? No. How do you get faith? It's a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8. We started with that. Now, I want to read Romans 10, 9, and 10, and I want us to push Thomas through the sieve, um, the, like the strainer of Romans 10, 9, and 10. Can we do that? All right, here we go. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Back to Thomas. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Okay, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So when Jesus says, um, stop being a pisto, stop being an unbeliever and come with me into being a believer, become a New Testament believer, he is inviting Thomas to see the wounds in his hands, to see the puncture on his side, and he is calling Thomas from his unbelief into his belief. And Thomas, ahead of every single one of the disciples and every Everyone who walks with Jesus says, my Lord. So he's saying, I see the nail marks. I see the scars and I'm professing back to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here's what he says. If you declare with your mouth, did he declare with his mouth? Yes. Did he believe in his heart? Yes. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I am convinced, and I don't think anyone could convince me otherwise, that the first New Testament believer is Thomas. And how is it that the person that we've all branded, doubting Thomas, is actually the one that Jesus goes after and in the presence of all the disciples, he invites him from being an unbeliever to being a believer and he calls him from a state of, now I'm not saying these other guys weren't believers. Did they believe in Yahweh God? Yes. Did they believe in you know, Hebrew tradition and the Mosaic law? Yes. Did they believe in the God of the Bible? Old Testament. Yes, but see, there's this fulcrum transition where Jesus is going, uh, he's changing um, all of the church from being an Old Testament style of believer to being a New Testament believer where King Jesus comes and lives inside of you, right? So Thomas, when God actually addresses him, stop being an unbeliever. In other words, you're, you're sort of living under the Mosaic law. You're living under this Hebrew thing. But now I'm asking you to be a believer. Profess with your mouth that Jesus died and was resurrected. Believe in your heart that God God raised him from the dead and you will be a believer. And so Thomas, when he responds and goes, my Lord and my God, he does two things. He's saying Jesus, and he is the first one in any of the gospels that I can find to say that Jesus is Yahweh God. That's what he says, number one. But more than Jesus, you are Yahweh God, the God of the Old Testament. He's actually saying, Jesus, you are my God. You are my Lord. So what is happening in this moment is he has now believed with his mouth. He has confessed with his mouth. He's believed in his heart that God raised him from the dead. And all of a sudden, Thomas begins to lead the train of New Testament believers. And that Jesus would take the one we've all branded, the entire church of every denomination and stripe and color has branded this guy as 
Doubting Thomas. And that Jesus would take the doubter and make him the first. This is like that, that upside down concept in Christianity where Jesus takes the last and he makes them first. He takes the tail and he makes them the head. Like he, he takes the ones who have been most broken and most hurt and most downtrodden and then he elevates them. And this is what's happening here. So Thomas, in the presence of all the disciples, suddenly becomes the first New Testament believer. And you go, come on, Jesus. I love the way Jesus does things. <clears throat> when a person fights their way across the bridge of doubt into honest faith and conviction, I think the Lord has found a person who hasn't blindly and uncertainly found King Jesus, but rather he has found a person who has chosen to walk across this bridge of doubt. And when that person reaches the other side, their faith in Jesus has such a strength and a fortitude. And I would actually rather walk with believers who have been tested across the bridges of doubt because they're the ones when the going gets tough and when things are bad who are going to hang on and go, Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my God. <clears throat> two things that I want to say here and then I want to give you I want to tell you about Thomas's future because it's really powerful what, what Thomas did and it's now looking back but, but from this point it's Thomas's future um, remember that the gospel of John is being written in the city of Ephesus which is the very center of sort of Roman culture at this day and it's also the center of Caesar worship so that what what they, the people would say when they worship Caesar once a year is they'd go Caesar is Lord Caesar is God so when John writes my Lord, my God, what he's actually overturning, this is kind of an aside, but he's actually overturning Caesar worship and this sort of idolatry that's happening among all people of the day. And you and I wouldn't know that unless we lived during that time. But he's flipping this whole thing um, kind of on its head. And then um, the other thing that I, that I want to um, point out, let's keep going. I think we got that. Um, let me tell you about Thomas's future. Um, I, I can't, like, uh, it's really hard to trace the history of Thomas. Um, there's, there's actually a book of Thomas that I don't think holds, um, it's not in the canon of scripture. I don't think it holds water. I think it's a lot of it's legend. I think there's pieces of truth in it if you've, if you've ever read it. But here is what is very solid if you look at the hist uh, historical position of Thomas, is it looks like that Thomas journeyed to a country Anybody know? Named? India. India. And it appears that he took the gospel eastward all the way to India. It's likely that he even dipped into China at points. And he's actually today the patron saint of India. Now, let me just tie this all together if I can. The, fat, the three fastest growing churches in the world are not in America. They're not in the United Kingdom. They're not in Australia or New Zealand. The three fastest growing churches in the world and at different numbers and different people have different opinions, but are the Iranian church, where you get thrown in prison if you become a believer or killed or exiled. The Indian church and the Chinese. 
Chinese church. Now, isn't it amazing that Thomas the doubter, Thomas the one who isolated, Thomas the one who hid himself away, Thomas the one who probably beat himself up because he thought he had failed and he thought all the other guys were doing fine and he was a scumbag all by himself, that Jesus walked in and introduced him and called him to cross this bridge of doubt from unbelief to becoming a New Testament believer. And, and this Thomas is the first one that declares with his mouth that Jesus is Yahweh God, that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. And beyond that, he's the first one to declare that Jesus is my Lord and my God. And so Thomas breaks down the walls with Jesus in him, obviously doing it, but breaks down the walls. It begins to a, a draft that we can all as believers, both in Jerusalem at this moment and even today, that we can follow behind him. And then that God would take someone like Thomas who has been branded a doubter and he would send him and that the ripples of Thomas's ministry in India and China would still be being felt today, that he would so make waves in those countries that it's still being felt today that God would take someone who was so downtrodden and rejected and potentially hated by the other disciples and he would send him out. And even today we would see that those two countries are the top two or two of the top three fastest growing churches in the entire world. Like, go with me there just a second. If you're in here today and you go, man, I am doubting. Welcome to the table. If you're in here today and you're going, I don't even know if I believe. Welcome to the table. If you're in here and you're going, I don't know how to get through this storm of my own insecurity or sickness or financial difficulty or marriage crisis, welcome to the table. This is where it actually begins. When you get to the point where you're willing to go, Lord, I have nothing left. I surrender it all. Would you now walk through my locked door walls and come in here and minister to me and let me see the scars on your hand and on your side? And then would you lift me to the place where I can actually give you control of my life, not just once, but every single day where I'm laying it all down and you take up your position as Lord and master and savior and God of my life. And all of a sudden he can take people like Thomas, like you, like me, and use them to change the nations. Yeah, that's
in here and you've never given your life to Jesus, it might actually just mean going, Lord, I think that you might be real and I'd like to take a step towards surrendering control of my life to you. I'll be up here next to Matt Beatty and would love to pray with you. Listen to me, church. If you're willing, Jesus will take the most painful and broken spot in your life and he will use it. Father, would you allow this church at this time, those online and those in person, to be a group of people that truthfully acknowledge where we are and where we're not, that in all honesty and integrity take those foibles and failures to the cross to find forgiveness and life. And then, Father, would you make us a group of Thomases that change cities and counties and states and seaboards and nations and Father, I pray that the waves that are made in our hearts and lives would impact for the kingdom. Lord, here we are. Send us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.